0: Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys this morning. My name is Tim. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, especially if this is your first Sunday with us, we want to welcome you. We're so glad that you're here. As Leanne said this morning, uh, we'd love to help you navigate uh, this whole church thing, especially uh, church that meets in the school. We know that may be, be different for you. And, and one of the things that's different today is we have our kids in the service. Uh, Welcome, kids. Special welcome to you guys. You should have an activity bag uh, to help keep you entertained as if you're not going to be entertained by this, right? Come on. I think you will be. It's going to be okay. And uh, we love it that you guys are here, uh, kiddos, and we're going to engage you in this time as well. Keep things a little bit shorter. If you do have uh, a kid between three months and, uh, sorry, five months and three years, we do have a nursery for you. And so please take advantage of that. It's right across... The courtyard uh, in that building, there's a sign out there that says PBC Kids, and we'd love for you to drop off your babies there. We'll take really good care of them. Uh, but today, we have a family worship service so that you, as parents, uh, can worship with your kids. We don't get to do that all the time, and so we want to take these kind of opportunities to do that today. Uh, but before we get into the sermon, Uh, we need to address Houston. I want to address Hurricane Harvey and the relief efforts going on there and just really what is our part in all of this. I'm sure some of you uh, have been following this really closely. Uh, Some of you maybe not as close, so I just want to catch us up and get us on the same page. Here's some details of what has taken place and what is still taking place now in Houston, Texas with Hurricane Harvey relief. Uh, One is they've estimated that About 20 trillion gallons of water has fallen on the Houston area through rain. Kids, that's a lot of water, right? 20 trillion gallons of water has has been dumped on the city of Houston over the last week or so. Uh, About 185,000, again, these numbers are probably growing, 185,000 homes are estimated to be damaged or entirely destroyed, An estimated 30,000, again, I'm sure it's more by now, 30,000 people are in need of shelter. 46 people lost their life. Uh, It's estimated that they will need, the Houston area will need $190 billion in relief to eventually fully recover. And so what has happened is, is catastrophic. Uh, It has been talked about and weighed around, whether it's uh, bigger than Hurricane Katrina and and just all the the damage that it's caused and the displacement from homes. And uh, I know for for some of you, uh, you, you've seen that. Some of you may be like, oh, I didn't know it was that bad. I mean, I I knew there was flooding, but I didn't know it was that bad. And and I tell you all that so we feel some weight in that of other people who are hurting, who are burdened significantly right now. And I know for me, this hits home. This is personal for me. We have family. Some of our best friends live in Houston. I lived in Houston for a couple years as a little kid. Uh, My wife's family, a lot of them are in Houston. And uh, one of her cousins specifically is pregnant with their third child. And um, if you can just picture that, right? Uh, Picture a woman in the late, late stages of her pregnancy, navigating flood damage in her home, trying to get ready for her her third kid, right? If you can't picture it, let let me help you with that. She said this the other day. She said, I'm feeling like the mom in the Titanic movie, laying the kids down to bed. I'm giving up. There's six inches of water in the house. Sewage is backing up through the tubs, and the only sounds in the house accompanying their soft snores are the snaps of the flooring and the drizzle of rain outside. It will not stop raining. Now listen, a lot of people have those stories. Right? These are just family members that we know. Some people have way worse than that, right? Some people don't have uh, floors to crack still, right? They're completely. Their house is is gone. And so how do we as the church respond? Here's one way I think we respond. We embody Jesus' words in Matthew 5. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. We're going to hit this next week that we are the light of the world. The church, the citizens of the kingdom are the light of the world. And so listen, here's what that means is I love the NFL. If you know me, you know I love football, I love the NFL, I love nonprofits, I love organizations, and I love seeing our country come together and rise up as as humans to say, hey, we want to help, and how can we help? But these moments are for the church. These moments are where the church gets to be the church, the light of the world, where we get to rise up, not just our church locally, but the big C church. And we get to say, hey, we know Jesus. He has given us everything. And so we give out of that, especially in times where people are hurting. And and so we want to ask, and I've been asking this week, how do we respond? How do we participate in this? You'll see them on the screen, but the first thing we do is pray. And I I think that's easy to say, harder to do, right? And I was thinking about it this week. I think it helps to think, how would I pray if this was my family? How would I pray if this was my church? If you lived in Houston and you knew personally people with stories like my wife's cousin and, and way others That that had it way much worse, how would you pray then? How desperate would you pray? And that we would pray like that, knowing that there's real people and real kids and real families affected by this in significant ways. So the first thing is, is pray and really pray and cry out to God. The second way that we can participate here is to give. Uh, We uh, posted a link We're part of a church network that has churches down there, and and they're going to give money, all the money that goes to them, to those local churches, to help with recovery. And on Friday, I started thinking and praying. I started talking to some of our leaders and just said, you know what? Instead of just throwing up a link so people can give to a network that's going to help people, and maybe they will, maybe they don't, let's give our entire offering to this. Let's take this Sunday, and we pass the baskets, just like we always do, right after the sermon. Anything that comes in there, we're not going to take it for us, for our operations, for what we do in Phoenix. We're going to take it all, and we're going to give it away because we want to be the church, because we are the light of the world, because Jesus has been generous with us. Amen. And so we're generous with others. And so we don't think about well, what's one Sunday lacking of offering. What is that going to do to our church budget? We don't think about that, right? We just say we want to give. And we want to give everything we have. This many people in this room, we muster up our radical generosity and we we give. And so we're going to do that. At the end of the sermon, we're going to take an offering. If you drop a dollar in there, it's going to Houston. If you give to that link online, Bitly link, PVC online give, and you select Harvey Relief, it's all going to go. We're going to leave that open till the end of the night, midnight tonight. And so if you have f- friends, f- family, you can send them that link. You can stop on your phone. I won't be offended right now and say, I'm going to go ahead and give. That You would shuffle around money so you could give. I know it's the first of the month. I know generosity for some of us looks different than others of us. You decide in your heart what is, what is a generous way to be the church, that we would come together collectively to do that. And so that's the second way. The third way we want to be a part of this is to go. And so we're exploring what it would look like to take a short-term trip to Houston. So I've already talked to some churches here in Phoenix, some churches in Houston, and how we can collaborate and send a team and be more effective together than we could alone. And so we're considering January around MLK Day weekend. That's like the 11th, a Thursday through the 15th, I believe, uh, because we have that Monday off. Most of you would. And uh, to set, assemble a team, to go down there. And so we have an interest form. Again, you see the link on the screen. You can fill that out and just say, hey, I'm interested. What does this look like? We don't have the details together yet, but we want to go. And some of you are thinking, January, Tim, that's a, that's a long time away. Will there be things to do? Yes. All right? The, when things like this happen, you typically have three stages. You have rescue. That's what's just happened. People getting people in boats, right? You have rescue, then you have relief. That's what's happening now. Supplies, money, baby wipes for people who have kids, like all these things, they don't have clean water, relief, and then you have recovery, and that takes years, Talking to one pastor this week, he, he said to me this. He said, Tim, it's gonna be a marathon, not a sprint. For our churches, this will be at the front burner for at least six months to a year. And so the reality is in January, they're just going to be getting started with the real recovery. And we can come along and probably be more impactful then than today with me showing up in a bass boat. That's not going to help that much, right? I don't have a bass boat, for one thing. Uh, but, but what if we can organize efforts and come when, when we can actually care, rebuild, love, pray for people? So if you're interested in that, obviously it's going to cost. We'll have to fly there or drive there, whatever we decide to do. Um, and so some of you may think, I- I'm not going to do that. I can't get off work to do that. And-, and there's a sign-up form on the, or the interest form. There's a box of check to check to give financially to help others go. And so maybe some of you want to go, but you're like, I don't know if I can afford that. Uh, you can be supported by somebody else. And if you can't go, you can support someone else. Right? And so we want to be the church. We want to be the light of the world as Phoenix Bible Church, a three-year-old church plant in Phoenix. We want to step out and step into this. And be generous and reflect the generosity of Jesus. And so let's pray. Let's pray how I talked about just a minute ago. Let's pray uh, as if this were people you actually knew. Would you pray with me? Let's take a minute to do that. Father in heaven, I thank you for uh, being a God who is all-knowing, is is fully aware of the pain that a lot of people are experiencing in the Houston area. I think you that you are a God who comes close to the brokenhearted, who says, blessed are the poor in spirit, the meek, as we've been talking about, those that would say, I need help. And there's a lot of people that need help in Houston. And so I pray for these men and women. I pray that right now you would stir in their hearts, in their spirit, a radical generosity. If they don't know you, Jesus, this would be an experience for them to get to know you and your heart for the world and for them. And God, you would mobilize us to be the light of the world, to push back darkness, to bring healing and, and restoration and ultimately salvation for somebody we may meet in January who, who doesn't know you. But they think, why would somebody in Phoenix give up money and time to come down to Houston, Texas to, to help me and serve me? And they would have their opened eyes to the gospel the first time. God, we pray for things like that and stories like that, and we wouldn't sit on the sidelines. We would help and, and get in the game. Father, stir us, even just to give today and a few moments after the sermon, stir us to want to be a part of what you are doing in the world. Father, help us to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, hey, I would encourage you to begin now thinking how you're going to participate in this, and uh, we're going to talk about some of these kinds of things, making peace and persecution today as we wrap up the blessed life. Uh, As we do that, I encourage you to grab a Bible. If you didn't already, there should be one on a chair right near you. If you didn't, you can pull it up on an app, follow along on the screen. But we are in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5 through 7. It's 107 verses uh, of essentially Christianity 101. Essentially, the, the theme overall is the kingdom of God. And if you've been here over the last couple weeks, we've defined the kingdom as the rule and reign of God. And so if you missed those past couple weeks, we have a podcast, we have a website, you can go back and listen to those sermons. We've we've set up this this overall theme of Matthew 5-7, through and we are in this beatitude portion, the blessed life in the first part of Matthew 5, talking about what does it mean to be blessed in the kingdom of God. And what we found is it's quite different than Barnes & Noble blessed. It's quite different than hashtag blessed. That what Jesus is describing is a profound, is a long happiness that's despite your circumstances. And what what I hope you have seen if you've been here is that God cares more about your happiness than you do. Do you know that? God cares way more about your happiness than you do. Eight times he says, blessed are those, blessed are those. God wants you to be happy. He just may have a different road for you to get there. He may have a different path for us to get there. And so we can know as we look at this passage that all of these things involve some short-term pain. Nobody's denying that. But they guarantee long-term joy. That's the blessed life according to Jesus. And we get it back into it today when our first point is blessing and peace. We see that in verse 9. Look at the verse with me. It says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, notice it doesn't say those who live in peace. If you look at it, what does it say? Blessed are the peacemakers, not just those who live in peace. Do you see the difference? And so when you think about peacemakers, you don't need to think about yoga You don't need to think about your lavender diffuser, (laughs) sitting by the pool, drinking a glass of wine, right? Those may be peaceful things for you to live in, but you're not making peace when you do that, right? Jesus is talking about bringing about peace proactively, looking at the evil in the world, stepping into that and overcoming that evil with good, making peace. Here's what that means. We don't stir up unnecessarily conflict as Christians. Okay? We don't run people over to get what we want. We don't slander people. That would be breaking peace, not making peace. And so we don't seek out conflict, but listen, we don't avoid it either. Colossians 1:20. Jesus says or it says that Jesus made peace. Same exact words in the original language. Jesus made peace. How did he do it? Colossians 1.20, it says, by the blood of his cross. So think about this. Jesus has entered into the greatest conflict the world has ever known. You have a holy and righteous and loving God, and then you have grievous sin against that holy, righteous, and loving God. And Jesus didn't stay back in heaven and think, how far can I get away from this conflict, and I don't want to get messy, and I don't want to get my hands dirty. No, he entered in. He put on flesh. He, didn't, he entered into human history, and he said, not only am I going to enter into the conflict, I'm going to take the conflict upon myself at the cross and sacrifice my life to make peace, to bring reconciliation, to bring hope, that this is how our God deals with conflict. He deals with it head on. And so listen, just like the goal is not breaking peace, it's also not faking peace. We make peace in our relationships, in our marriage, in our world. We don't stay away, we step in. Do you see that? Because that's what Jesus did. We enter into the conflict in our marriage. We don't ignore it. We enter into the conflict in our church, in our world. We discuss it. We talk about it. We enter in to make peace. We initiate, we surrender our rights, we sacrifice ourselves just like Jesus did to make peace. And so it's not just living peace. It's not just ignoring conflict. It's engaging it with the love, the unity, the peace of Jesus. And so it's not, this is the right thing to do. Houston, making peace in Houston, giving to that, if you do that today, it's not because it's the right thing to do. If you engage conflict in our city, in your relationships, it's not just because war, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing, right? That's not why. It's far bigger than that. Jesus says it, verse 9, look at the verse again. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God, that citizens of the kingdom make peace because when they do, they reflect the king. This is what we're called to. These are characteristics of kingdom citizens because of the king we serve. Do you see that? John Stott, an author and theologian, said it this way, it is the devil who is a troublemaker. It is God who loves reconciliation and who now through his children." as formerly through his only begotten son is bent on making peace that we make peace listen we make peace because we know the prince of peace amen that's what, that's our source of peace that just like jesus made peace that now through the children of god those who reflect their father have been adopted in his family now we carry that message of peace on even to a sacrifice Of ourselves. And so, two questions. How peaceful is your blank, your work, your home, your neighborhood because you are there? How are you actively, proactively, progressively making peace in your sphere of influence? Are you? How how does your home look right now? Is it becoming more and more peaceful because You are there because you're reflecting the Prince of Peace. Your job, your neighborhood, your school. How is it more peaceful because you, a kingdom citizen who's making peace, are there? Let's take it collective. Second question, how peaceful is our city, our world, because Phoenix Bible Church is here? How are we bringing the kingdom of Jesus to earth because we are here? Maybe a better question to ask is what if we weren't here? What if tomorrow we shut our doors and closed up shop at Phoenix Bible Church? Who would notice? Would anyone, would any organization, would any people group, would any of you say, wow, where did Phoenix Bible Church go? I mean, they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, making peace. They were practicing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our city, helping to make peace. Where where do they go? There's a void now. Somebody tell them, bring them back. Would anybody say that? Because we're proactively making peace. And when I say our church and Phoenix Bible Church, I don't mean an organization or an institution. I mean, look around. That you, that me, that we make peace. This is the calling card of the Christian, of a kingdom citizen. And so how are we doing that? How can we take steps to live out this characteristic That Jesus talks about. Our second point is blessing and persecution. Look at verse 10 with me. It says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so as you look at that, verse 11 really just expounds on verse 10. You see this idea of persecution. Three times, 10 through 12, you see persecution, persecution, persecution. Verse 11 kind of describes that. It's when you're reviled, being slandered. It's when people utter evil against you. And here's the key. Look at the verse with me, verse 11. It's when Jesus says, for righteousness sake. It's falsely on his account. You see, what Jesus isn't describing is haters going to hate. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus isn't talking about people holding you back from reaching your full potential. That's not what he's talking about. Jesus is talking about for the sake of righteousness on his account when we are persecuted in that way. And so listen, we can cross some things off our list, let's be honest. We can cross a few things off our list that we count as persecution that we actually shouldn't. One of those things, flat tire. Flat tire, I'm being persecuted. Have you ever said that? Thought that? Now listen, maybe, maybe Satan is after you and specifically your tire. I don't know. Maybe that's the case, but I would say predominantly you get a flat tire because you're due for a tire rotation. You get what I'm saying? Because there was a nail on the ground, right? It's not always persecution. Those times when you get that bad performance review at work, or a bad grade in school, and you think, oh, I'm being so persecuted. I mean, this professor just doesn't like me. He has something against me. Yes, and he has something against everybody who never cracks a book or doesn't study. You think, my boss, he's just out to get me. Like, I don't know what it is, my good looks. I I just can't figure it out, right? Yes, your boss is out to get you and everyone else who slacks off and doesn't do their work. Those things aren't necessarily persecution. We can cross them off the list. This one, I think a lot of us do this. I don't have a ton of friends. So what's persecution? Could that be? Maybe, but I think more often than not, I don't have a ton of friends because I need to quit being a jerk to everybody I meet. I need to get out of my house every once in a while and talk to somebody and ask a question. What's your name today? How are you doing Not always persecution. There's some things we can cross off the list. This is what persecution is not. Jesus talks about what it actually is, and we see it in the text. Look at it with me. It's people who are living righteously for righteousness' sake. It's when you are living righteously in word and deed, and people around you speak unrighteous gossip about you. That's persecution. It's times when you're working with integrity but people ascribe ill motives to you. It's things way bigger than that in our world. I was talking with a guy this morning who helps coach and train church planners across the world and specifically in India, and he told me this story about people being persecuted and a car getting lit on fire and people's lives being lost. Now, now you may not experience that, right? But that's persecution for living righteously, for living and proclaiming the name of Jesus. And so we may not experience that, but you do experience other things. Like when you live generously, sacrificially, when you think, what can I cut out of my life so I can give to Houston today? How am I going to adjust my schedule, reorient my relationships, my hobbies for the glory of Christ, my time, my talent, my treasure? How can it all be a way to proclaim and declare the glory of Jesus when you think that way and live that way and then somebody in your family comes along to you and says, hey, I mean, I get it. I know you're doing the church thing lately. I know you love people, but if you could just tone down that Jesus stuff just a notch. It's a little bit too intense for us at family reunions. It's when you're living generously and sacrificially and and proclaiming Jesus and, and in your class, your professor pulls you to the side after class and say, hey, We want to make sure, just really careful, that that everybody is tolerant of one another. And so, I mean, you can use faith and and religion, but if you could just tone down the whole Jesus stuff a notch. Just bring that back, right? It's those times where you're living righteously. You're living for the name and fame and the glory of Jesus. And other people say things about you, do things to you. That's persecution. Persecution. And so we want to ask the question, where am I holding back because of fear of persecution? For what we experience in America, I know it's not like some of the other countries, but for what you experience in your context, where are you holding back because of what someone would say, because what someone would do, or better yet, I think this hits all of us to the core, how we might be inconvenienced. Where are you holding back? Because as we look at this, Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are safe, blessed are those who are comfortable, blessed are those who are convenient. He doesn't say that. And so where are we holding back? Who is that neighbor you need to share the gospel with? You know who he is. You know who she is. Who is that person in the cube next to you who think, man, I mean, that one time she brought up church, but I didn't really say anything, Who's that one person who's hurting who you need to just say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you thought about it over and over again, but you just said, that could be awkward. What are you holding back because of fear of persecution? What's that one family member you need to bring to church? What's the one thing, I believe God is stirring something in you today, and you know what it is. I don't know what it is, but he's stirring it in you. But you're like, I don't know what they may say, I don't know what they may do, I don't know how it's going to inconvenience me, and so I'm holding back if I'm honest. Yesterday, I was with the the kids at Costco, and uh, that's what we do on a Saturday, be jealous, and uh, it's an amazing time, and uh, we were there for a couple hours because we go hard on the samples, if you know what I'm saying. And so we get to the the checkout, and my card's expired. And so I I take all three of my kids and go over to the service desk to renew my card. Well, of course, uh, the computers don't work. And so we're trying to navigate all these things. And listen, my kids were champs. You guys did a great job, Neela, Ashwin. You guys did an awesome job in Costco. Thank you. Good job. In Costco, uh, my little two-year-old had chocolate all over her face, right, from the samples. And, And we're standing there, and so they did a great job. But it was time to go, right? Two hours at Costco on a Saturday, got some things to do, right? Need to get on with our day. And so I'm thinking about that, and it's taking forever. And honestly, at one point, I'm just looking down, and the guy who's helping us looks at my shirt, which says, not ashamed. And he says, great question. He says, what are you not ashamed of? And I said, in the moment, I said, oh, it's just a church shirt. And then the next moment, I thought, what a chump. (laughs) I mean, not him, me. Like, it's a a church shirt? Like, why did I even just say that? I'm in the zone, I'm in convenience right now, and I just want to leave Costco. And I just said, oh, that's just a church shirt. Can we just move this along a little bit faster? And, And by God's grace, he stirred my heart to not leave it there, right? And I said, you know what, actually, it's more than that. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God unto salvation. And so the, the shirt represents that, that I'm not ashamed of, of Jesus. And he actually said, I think I've, I've heard of that verse before. And we got to talk about Jesus as we went to the next register. And we got to talk about our church as we went to the next register. And God used that in significant ways. But, but I almost missed it out of fear. Out of, conven- out of convenience. Listen, I know as we talk today, I'm not talking to people who are uh, above those type of things. Maybe you already feel guilty because you're like, ah, I just, I don't, I'm not like super missionary, Tim. Like, I'm not going to be this type of person. Listen, I'm your pastor and I'm not either. Right? I miss these moments. But in God's grace, he gives you the opportunity. Listen, he places you in a time, in a season, in a job, in a neighborhood, So you can have conversations like that. So you can take those moments, you can ask questions, you can pray in just little ways, and you can declare Jesus because you're not afraid of persecution. You're not considering convenience over someone who could give their life to Jesus Christ. This marks kingdom citizens. And so just practically... If you guys have experienced some form of persecution, students, adults, if you guys have experienced this, you know how you should respond when this happens? As you begin to speak out, as you don't hold back, when other people say things or give you a snicker or gossip about you, you know what you should do? You should say, thank you. When your family asks you to tone it down a notch with Jesus, you should just say, thank you. Now you're going to mess some people up because that's going to confuse the crap out of them, right? They'd be like, no, are you going to tone it down about Jesus or not? Like, I don't, I don't understand Yoda. Like, what? like, thank you is not the appropriate response. You need to say thank you. Here's why. Because blessed are these kinds of people that are persecuted. Yours is the kingdom of God. And so when you experience this, when you do step out, resist fear, when you do step in, and courageously, boldly practice, proclaim Jesus, and somebody looks at you weird or does something funny, you can just say, thank you. Why? Because blessed, happy are these kinds of people when you step out in that. And so listen, sometimes this makes us doubt our faith when people persecute us. No, 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 no. It should do the exact opposite. It should affirm your faith because then you know, hey, this is, this is how the kingdom functions, I'm just walking in rhythm with the kingdom right now. When somebody's attacking you, defriending you on Facebook, "Eh, thank you. You just affirmed my faith. I'm so happy right now. That's what Jesus is saying. This is how the prophets did it. It doesn't just start with you. You don't have to pioneer this. This has been happening for thousands of years. Jesus says, verse 12, the prophets experience this. So when you step out, when you face persecution, not only are you blessed, not only should it affirm your faith, but you're rolling deep with guys like Daniel, Jeremiah, and Isaiah in those moments. You're talking shop with, with Daniel, who was in the lion's den. I mean, to a lesser degree, right? But you, your story's not as, as, as exciting, maybe, right? But you're in that kind of realm. You're continuing that on in your own context. And so your reward, Jesus says, is great in heaven, just like theirs. And so as we look at the blessed life, peace and persecution characterize the blessed life. Does that inspire you? Does that get you excited? The blessed life, peace, persecution. Oh yeah, and personal sacrifice in the midst of all that. Does that describe the blessed life? For you, if you were to say today, I'm not so sure, listen, that's okay. If you were to say today, Tim, that is that is really hard. That's okay. As I study this, I said, that's really hard. As I was at Costco and I missed that opportunity or almost missed it, man, that's really hard to do that and take advantage of those moments. It's okay to, to say, this is hard. Or I'm not so sure I believe this is the blessed life. It's okay to say that and be there for a few minutes, for a little bit of a season in your life. It's okay to be there, but you need to quickly move from there to, but it's true. Right? Do you see that? That it's hard. I don't know if I can do this, but it's true. And I want it to be true of me, a citizen of the kingdom of God. Because this is the blessed life. It's short-term pain, but it's long-term joy. You're guaranteed that because the creator, the sustainer, has set it up this way. He's built his kingdom this way for you to function like this. Verse 12, Jesus says, rejoice and be glad. Do you know that's the first commandment in all the Beatitudes? We've been in this for three weeks. The first command we come to is rejoice, be glad. God is so oppressive, isn't he? You're going to rejoice, and you're going to be glad, and I don't care if you don't like it. You see, God cares more about your happiness than you could ever. He just may have a different road for you to get there. God is concerned with your happiness, but not hashtag blessed. Not the recipe for happiness or the blessed life that you read at Barnes & Noble. He wants you to have a profound, lasting happiness that comes with knowing him and making him known in his kingdom. And so we end with a couple more questions. Will you trust his way to happiness or yours? Will you walk in step with his kingdom or yours? There's only one of two options there, right? Will you trust his version of happiness his kingdom, will you walk in step with it or are you gonna create your own kingdom and your own happiness? There's only two options and we have to make the decision this morning. Are we gonna look at God, listen, God who created everything, who sustains everything by the word of his power, your very breath this morning, the sun shining this morning, that God who knows everything The hairs on your head, who is everywhere at all times, that God, his kingdom, his happiness, are we going to trust that or us? Are we going to walk in step with him or us? Are we going to develop our own kingdom? And you say, well, that's extreme. I mean, I'm not sure that I buy into this, but I don't want my own kingdom. I don't want to be a king. Yes, you do. Yes, we do. If we don't trust, if we don't walk in his kingdom, we set up our own. We walk in our own. And so this morning, we have to make that decision. You and I are faced with that decision as we talk about the blessed life. And you need to know, if you choose Jesus, trust, walk in him, you'll be blessed. You'll experience happiness. But you have to begin to step in line with his kingdom. Uh, this morning, a fitting application for us is to give to Houston because we need to be peacemakers in the city of Houston. We need to resist convenience and fear of our financial financial state, and all the reasons we could not give here in a moment. And we need to step out, step into the way Jesus has designed us to function, to be blessed, to make peace, to step out in boldness. And so we're going to give in a moment. I'm going to pray for us. And then we're going to give. There's going to be people who walk the aisles and hand you a basket, and you have the opportunity to give. We'll have the, the screen up as well, the link to give online. You can do that. You can do it anytime today. But I would encourage you to step out. This is what you were designed for. This is the blessed life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for these men and women, some of whom are citizens of your kingdom because they've placed their trust in the life, death, and resurrection. God, I pray that these people who consider themselves Christians, that we would step out, we would step in to conflict, to make peace, and we would do so over and above our convenience because we know that this is your kingdom, not ours, and that we get to experience a lifelong joy, even if it has some short-term pain. God, I pray for those this morning who aren't citizens of the kingdom yet, who haven't put their trust in Jesus. God, I pray that this morning they wouldn't just try to make peace and try to step out and be bold without the power of Jesus. God, they would trust Jesus now, confess their sin, believe that you died for them and rose again, and that your kingdom is at hand, and it's coming, and it's a place where there's no more hurricanes, and there's no more strife, and there's no more sin, and there's no more sickness, and everything will be made right, and then we could all celebrate that in eternity. God, help us to respond this morning to the blessed life. Help us walk in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.